Welcome to the podcast that cures disease and then plants some trees. It's the Redenbacher. This is your captain, Matt Murphy, speaking, and I'm joined by Commander Ben Bullerwell. How you doing, Ben? <laughs> I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. Ben never hears these intros until I do them, so that's the authentic reaction. It's a small chortle, so, you know, I hope it's <laughs> better at home. <laughs> We're receiving a transmission with the episode Deflectors by David A. Goodman, or written by David A. Goodman and directed by Seth MacFarlane. It was a really complex episode and a pretty good one, if I do say so myself. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I would agree. This episode, I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't think I would have a whole lot to talk about. Like I thought there was some things, after watching it two or three times, you, you pick up on a lot of underlying things. You get to understand a lot more of Mocklin culture in, in certain ways that have previously not been talked about, really. I'm getting some good insight. And th this was like a very deep deep episode has a lot of good content with like ethics and morals and cultural like norms and it, it's it's a really good one about relationships it's a very That's serious like, tone like really serious especially for this show no absolutely thinking about the show there i mean there were some funny moments but there is some very 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 emotional very strong very angry moments in this episode it displays a lot of emotion and it's it's fantastic yeah, this was the breakout episode for for Tala, the uh, the new Salayan on deck, and I think she had a good showing. It was a, a strong episode for her. Good outing. Absolutely. You know, in our previous episode, when we were talking about Jiliak, I I said that um, Tala was not very diplomatic and she acted very maturely. In this episode, I I want to take back everything I've said that's bad about Tala. They were consistent crazy. with her character. In that Jiliak episode, she stood up and had like a sarcastic thing like, oh, you know, we just don't like to kill people on our planet or whatever the comment was. And this, she's like that too, where she stands up and where she has her morals, where even though it's not exactly always the right thing to do for the situation, she still has, she feels strongly about what she believes and will say it at, even if it's not exactly the protocol. Absolutely. In this episode, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about it too long because we're going to get into it later in, in more depth. But yeah, Tala is, she exhibits like angry outbreaks. She exhibits emotional, you know, <laughs> dilemmas that are, that are, it's a battle between what she thinks is morally correct and what her job actually uh, like expects of her when personal interest conflicts with duty. Oh my God. Just, this was a good episode. Yeah, and before we go further, there will be spoilers. We're going to be talking about this in depth and probably for some other elements in the show, some earlier Mocklin episodes and Tala throughout. Absolutely. So this would be a good time if you haven't seen the episode that we're going to be discussing today to pause, go watch it if you'd like that. And if not, I hope you enjoy our take on the episode and are able to collect quite a bit of information and what you wanted to see out of it. I just want to say that Jessica... Shazor? I don't know how to say her last name, the uh, woman who plays Tala Kiali. This was, this was a great episode, and I actually, uh, I, I'm on board with the character, fully on board now. I was testing the waters, and I, I was waiting until we got, like, a, a bigger dose of her, and this was good. So, let's dive headfirst into it. We're firing up the transmission, and let's go. Do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> as I mentioned, this episode's called Deflectors, and focuses a lot on deflector shields as we get to eventually. We start off with the cool retro set very like tng inspired we're in the simulator and it's new york around 1945 yeah i think it was it was lovely often in um, previous star trek spinoff franchises and original series we, we get a lot of these cool episodes that take place in the holodeck or in this case the simulator regardless it's a really really interesting means of maybe addressing different things or it's a really cool like set anyway like if nothing else 
it's beautiful and it is very nostalgic and throwback to, to Star Trek. Like we've seen this many, many times. It's super I, cool. I, I liked it. I'm not too uh, well versed in like 1945 New York architecture, but the only complaint I had about the set is it looked like it was a little like small. Like in the background, it looked like there wasn't much beyond the skyline or whatever. I don't know how tall buildings were in the in the 40s and stuff. So we, we have uh, Cassius and Kelly are out on a date. They they're, It's a very similar conversation I find to the one that Ed had with Talia. Uh, not entirely similar, but they both want to take a vacation for their for, to benefit their relationship. Mm-hmm. So I found well, that was a cool similarity. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> and as we know with uh, Ed and Talia, their vacation, well, yeah, it didn't lead to good things. And they don't even get a vacation, these two. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. They... Uh, yeah, Kelly pretty much, you know, kind of says, like, she's much too busy for this sort of thing. You know, they start talking about their, like, um, the relationship and the issues and where Kasha sees it and then where Kelly sees it going. And they just see that they don't really um, agree on what they want for their futures. Things aren't aligning. And there's also, like, they've got issues where there's Ed, which I don't know. I think he was mentioned in this conversation, as well as the job thing, where she, there's a there's a... A power struggle between the two where well, I don't know if power struggle is the right term but he's a teacher which is a super respectable profession but she's like head of the ship that's like being like president or like a vice president you know like there would be issues in the relationship absolutely I mean like I'm very much of the opinion that um, someone's profession doesn't define them but in all honesty that's not the case in society nine times in ten and, and yeah there's going to be a very big uh, difference between these two individuals cautious even makes the comparison he goes well you've never broken up a fight with a couple of uh, like eighth graders or whatever he says it's it's messier than any krill incident you've seen um, i was just in a prison camp like last month buddy <laughs> <laughs> if you don't remember no teachers um, are great they're very important but come on there's a there's a bit of a difference no, absolutely. Yeah, like teaching is a, an amazing, very, very respectable profession. You know, you're giving, you're empowering your your future, really, in like the generations to come. But but yeah, when you're talking about like a, such a vast difference, um, and, and like Kelly mentions, her job doesn't really allow for her to, like it's not as flexible. She has a very, very big, serious responsibility to the crew and to the Orville, and, and she's just not able to be as flexible as cautious is or and i got yeah. the feeling she's not super into cautious you know what i mean like she seems over. yeah i i would say i mean you know after getting out of the marriage with ed and everything you know s- briefly kind of being involved with i can't recall his name the blue individual Derulio. Derulio, thank you i mean you know she's she's recently gotten out of something very serious she mentions to cautious how you know she just got out of a marriage she's not looking to get back into one anytime soon uh, this is a point of uh, conflict of interest, yeah. I suppose. Uh, she would hate marriage, though, because her her marriage ended because she was almost like raped, essentially, where she was ha- she was forced into sex like against her will with these pheromones. It was like she was like roofy, didn't know what she was doing, and then she's blamed and has this uh, you know this resentment from Ed. So I would hate marriage too if I had that going on. <laughs> uh, absolutely, I mean relationships are tricky things to begin with, but but absolutely when you've when you've gone through serious relationships and they've they've not been successful, it may you know deter someone from seeking anything serious, and you may have issues becoming really maybe really close with someone. But I mean, for whatever reason, like Kelly, you take your time. I see something yeah. happening back there with Ed. We'll talk about that later. She sees every day when she goes to work the damage that she did to Ed, even though she didn't mean to do it. It was against her will. It was beyond her control. So she doesn't want to turn Cassius into you know a worry ward or whatever Ed has become, even though I think it's yeah. 
Uh, Kelly does mention, she's like, I just don't want to lead you on. Like, I don't want you to, you know, get hurt, really. And I think that's very mature of Kelly. It's often hard to express these kind of things to people. But it, I think it's definitely the mature, responsible thing to be done. No, Please yeah. Like Kelly. The more I see <laughs> Kelly, the more I realize why she is, like, Lieutenant uh, Grayson. I think that's her title. Oh, yeah, she's, she's brilliant. Like, honestly, she, this season especially has shown so much strength and and determination like she's like that person at a rave that's been there for years and like knows how to like lead the way (laughs) she's taking care of all the kids that are you know getting ill or whatever uh yeah she's she's turning into quite a janeway i've mentioned this in the previous episode we recorded but i I would say she's such a strong figure um i i think yeah i think she would make an excellent comparison to janeway for sure. So it looks like they're on the path to breaking up. It's essentially like over at this point. And um, yeah, that, that's it for the first little opening scene there. If we mm-hmm. cut then... Smooth jazz ends it and you can see Cautious's <laughs> heart slowly breaking. Yeah, smooth jazz, but uh, you know, not rough so times. <laughs> there you go. Good. Rough waters ahead. So <laughs> there's a uh, we, we cut to the Mocklin spacecraft. Uh, it's uh, they send a vessel into the shuttle bay of Dwarville, and the Mocklins and the, the Orville have some business to do. Yes. Um, so we find out that the Mocklins have agreed to participate in a deflector array upgrade. They're going to be sending one of their head engineers by the name of uh, Lokar. He will be assisting them with their upgrades, and they will proceed to do like military war game kind of testing to see if, if the upgrades have been successful. Yeah, Lokar is played by Kevin Daniels. He played Magic Johnson on Broadway. That's uh, one of his bigger roles. And I and I realized while we're writing this, Magic Johnson must have a Magic Johnson because he's managed to survive HIV for like 20 years, which is pretty impressive. No, yeah, I'm, it's quite <laughs> amazing. Um, I, mean, the left you know. I, I know there's a lot of <laughs> advancements in it, but yeah, good stuff. Yeah, good for you, Magic. And uh, I, I like really, I really like Kevin Daniels in this role. I think he really did a, a good job portraying someone who lived his whole life as feeling ash- either ashamed of himself or being treated terribly by his own people. You could really, it really came off in his performance. Absolutely, he's done a very good job of of acting as someone who has you know deep guilt, maybe like remorse, kind of like fear, like secretive life, kind of just a very mysterious, very. Um, what would the word for that be? Someone who's endured a lot. Just no, yeah. yeah. Mocklin culture, as Bordis talks later on, is tough. It's rough, and it's even tougher when you're not one of the gang. Everyone, you know, you feel like you're left out. And no one would accept you for who you really are. Lokar is joined by Captain Rechik, who's played by Ren T. Brown. Uh, ben, you might know him. He was on an episode of Voyager. He played uh, Kolar. It was an episode hmm. like 2001. I'm going to have to check this. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. But yeah, so it was even just like one-off roles. Seth knows and brings those actors on the show. I mean, it could be a coincidence. It could not be because there's so many actors out there. I'm sure like probably 20% of actors have starred in a Star Trek show or movie. So, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I just actually quickly searched Kolar. And yeah, it's so cool. We made a comparison last episode about the Klingons and the Mocklins. And it, it, yeah, it just so happens that Kolar, like after a little bit of, he, he played, yeah, Klingon. Uh, he was a Klingon commander of the generational Klingon battle cruiser. Super cool. I, I like that because it he might kind be of the first one to play. Our, he might be the first to play a Mocklin and a Klingon then. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're 100% right, actually. That's cool. Super That's cool, cool fact, guys. There you go. You might heard not be first. the first, uh, you know. <laughs> well, 
Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully for the purpose of this podcast, it is. When uh, Lokar is introduced, he comes off the shuttle. There's definite tension between him and Boris. Like, Boris has a look like, I've just seen my ex because he's just seen his ex, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty interesting moment there. You can see there's, like, some kind of shock. Like, it, it perhaps wasn't expected. Maybe Boris wasn't aware that Lokar would be, like, the like assigned engineer to help them. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely, like, a, a certain recognition um, that there's something going on between those two or was like yeah for sure lokar is really really good at engineering as we find out later on he's good at engineering and he's got some other tricks up his sleeve as well one thing i'd like to mention before i forget is uh lokar uh star trek discovery not really spoilers but the captain of the discovery early on in the show is captain Lorca, and his name is an anagram for lokar i don't know if that's on purpose but you literally just put the r before the c and it's Lorca. so i don't know if that's on purpose but then again this show also had uh tyler uh lieutenant tyler or whatever which is the exact same name as the guy from uh uh star trek as well hmm. so. yeah you're right there's a lot of interesting um a lot of interesting parallels there you know the shows are playing off each other they're very aware of each other and there's like a symbiotic nature between the two yeah it's interesting actually you're right i enjoy that yeah so i said that that he was Bordas's ex. Actually, they were. Uh, he was Bordas Kordashik, which is uh, the Mocklin turn, I guess, for spouse. Mm-hmm. But um, it's boyfriend because I don't think they would have one for spouse. Because if you don't have a boyfriend, they hate you, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe Kordashik was um, like what he said would be a, a past relationship, not necessarily oh, okay. like a spouse. Okay. You can tell that uh, Lokar is like really desperate to speak when he's desperate to speak to anybody who's compassionate towards his cause. There's a scene where he's starting to do the process of improving the deflectors. That's why they're there is to uh, increase the power of the deflector shields, right? That's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Tal, he seems very interested and curious and a little afraid to interact with people, but curious because he's on this mission. He knows there's other Mocklins aboard. He can't really share who he is with the crew without fear of them, you know, finding out and then terrible repercussions happening. Yeah. It's kind of strange actually, because if it wasn't for Bordas and Clyden, um, Topa doesn't really like Topa. He wouldn't, he wouldn't know like necessarily like all these cultural depths and, um, kind of beliefs. Um, no, Topa's probably most progressive. Orientation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting because, if it wasn't for the Mocklin's involvement of or of the Orville, um, he might be able to, you know, express himself freely um, if his commanding officer wasn't on board as well. Because this is something that, you know, we don't know of Mocklin's. We didn't know, like, we knew that they were predominantly male with, like, every one in, I think it was a thousand or something, very, very low odds. Um, yeah. Sometimes born as a female. Um, so as, like, the Union, uh, well, the Union would know, but but the Orville wouldn't have known this. Um, so they could have just, you know, he could have lived his life kind of on a vacation from the secrecy, but obviously Clyde and Bordas's involvement definitely complicate, um, <laughs> all of that. Yeah, no kidding. We also know that, like, it's cool watching this episode under the lens that Bordas knows, uh, about Lokar's proclivities, but he loves him and he doesn't want to see him hurt, let alone his family, which we learn later on that the Mocklin family is also punished if the family member is, uh, turns out to be different. Yes, we can see parallels to um, kind of like the Klingon, how they're, like, they're very proud in like their ways of life and like it's, you know, their honor and their this. And like if they do something improper, like that's considered improper in, in their society anyway, it can have serious repercussions of the family. They can lose their honor, which is 
you know, an extremely big deal. And, and yeah, there's extremely serious repercussions to this. Um, the Mocklins are, are not very, I guess, open to that. And we find out later why. Um, Bordas talks about it with Tala, I believe. Um, yeah. We'll dive in later for that one. One thing I, I noticed in the scene with Tala, it, this isn't just specific to the scene, but of course you bring in like a new, it's like Zelayan. Like it sucks that Halston Sage had to leave the show with Lara, but you create this really cool species that you want to have featured on every episode, right? That's why they had, that's part of why they had uh, Alara on there in the first place. So of course you would uh, find a new Zelayan. Yeah, it's definitely cool. I mean, they introduced like a new species, a new race or whatnot. And it has a lot of interesting features. Like, I don't know, it just really expands the universe a little bit more. And it's nice that they, they filled the boots and they've continued to kind of, keep us with Salayan influence a bit. You know, it'd be strange if Bordas left the ship or because then we'd lose like insight to Mocklin um, culture mm. and things like that. So it's definitely nice to have another Salayan on the ship. Sorry, I can't even ship. pick my, I can't even pick my favorite uh, alien race that we've been introduced to. I love the Kalons. I love Yafit. I love Bordas and the other Mocklins, despite <laughs> their rough, rough culture and mm. uh, the Salayans, whichever if that's the one I didn't mention. Yeah, there's a lot of cool um, different species. Um, even like the shock tall and the um, like the krill. I mean, we don't get to see quite as much of them as we'd like, really, um, and not really on the terms that we'd like to see them. There's just like a, a lot of different creativity and awesome species, and, and just like hats off to the writers and like the designers and everyone. That's just super, super it's, cool. It's a rich cultural tapestry. It's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we're we have a scene where uh, in uh, Boris's quarters where he's having dinner with his family, and as you might imagine, it's pretty tense. Yes, that's when Lokar comes in, and Clyden actually ever so politely asks him to join them for dinner. Yeah, when uh, earlier Bordas he uh, Lokar asked Bordas if he wants to uh, like talk about stuff and. Bordas says no, because Bordas knows the danger. He knows that, like, if anything slips, if Clyden becomes aware, the word might slip, and then there goes Lokar and his whole family. Yeah, it's a it's a big gamble. See, we're not made aware of this that Bordas is aware um, until quite later in the episode. Yeah, but um, after having seen it, and you go back and you like think about it, like this is yeah, like it's a lot of pressure for Bordas. Bordas doesn't maybe want to really maybe go back to that time where they were in a in a partnership and as we know he was mistreated and he found he found Lokar with a woman so it could be very painful for him in that sense and obviously yeah he holds a lot great and obviously yeah he he holds a lot of responsibility in knowing the fact that Lokar's sexuality or his orientation is Mm -hmm. the way that it is the strength of this rating, though, is it's really good where, yes, Boris is revealed. Like, we knew that uh, Mocklin have very close-minded culture and, in a lot of ways, bigoted. But Boris still cares enough about this person and is going against the culture by not revealing what he knows about Lokar. So even showing him to be a bigot, he's still he's still a good person on the inside. Mm-hmm. I and mean... That, that's really cool. Yeah, it's super interesting. And a, a comparison I'd like to make is, like, you, you said, like, out of love that Boris kind of kept the secret for Clyden, uh, sorry, for Lokar. And it's interesting because we see in this episode that Bordas had, you know, very strong feelings for, for Lokar at one point, and he held the secret to to preserve his well-being and his family's well-being. But then it's interesting as well because because Tala has a lot of feelings for Lokar as she expresses later, but she actually turns him in. It's just an interesting, 
I don't know. It's just interesting, right? Because you'd think that the the Mocklin would be much more likely, but Bordas actually held that secret for, for many years. I think that's why Tala would be so raw to this whole thing, because I don't know how bigoted the... Um, the Zelayans are I don't know if they're like a utopian society where they all relatively get along unless you're like Galara where you might have some disability where they kind of treat you worse for that but it seems like sexuality is probably fine over there yeah by the way that Tala reacts to a lot of these things you could probably say that Zelayan culture is very open to to it's just very progressive I guess yeah they're accepting to most things and probably wouldn't like shun you and like throw you in prison for you know your sexuality or some views or whatever absolutely Anyway, yeah, we're back at dinner, and dinner is getting interesting. Uh, <laughs> One funny part that I want to uh, point out is uh, they they t- revealed to Topa that they were in a relationship, and he goes, what is a relationship? And Bordeaux goes, it is what comes before the egg. <laughs> <laughs> Lots yeah, of egg like references. That. Always great. That was funny, yeah. Oh my goodness, that was a good bit. I laughed really hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, Clyden asked uh, Lokar if he has a mate, and he says, I do not. My work demands much of my time. And and then uh, Clyden says, it must be very difficult. And it's funny because you don't know the half of it. It is very difficult where if I went after a chosen mate, I would be in prison. Yeah, no, it's true. And and he's able to kind of maintain that kind of illusion that it's his job. Not to, not to say that his job isn't extremely demanding of him, but it's just a very good scapegoat for him to use as, as not being with a mate that, you know, like if we were in a culture and a society even if you don't look that far back, like the LGBTQ community has, has been, you know, under quite a lot of oppression, obviously, for a very long are. time. They still there's, are, absolutely. But there's you know, a little bit more going on. That's it's, it's Wheels are turning very slowly. They're heading in the right direction. And we can only hope that with time, things really do do get much better. One thing I'll say is what's very what's very scary is as intense as the Mocklin are and how, uh, how we think it's like terrible what they do. There's some worse stuff that happens to gay people on Earth, and it's, the punishment is worse than prison. It could be death. So, you know, it's don't think that just because it happens in space that it can't happen at home. It, it's very frightening. Luckily, in a lot of places in the world, this is the best time ever to be part of the LGBT community. So mm-hmm. there's that. You can take solace in that, but we still have a long ways to go in a lot of places around the world. Absolutely. I mean, um, we often think of ourselves as being very progressive and very this and very that, but we usually look down like a very small scale and not like a global scale. Yeah. All you can really do is treat each person the best way you can and be as nice to people as you can and just look at them as a person, not for their choices or you know, things that they can change. Like form an opinion about the individual, not about the individual's you know, preferences and this, that, the other thing, because I'm going to say most of the time it doesn't involve you anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I, I mean? Uh, yeah, me and Ben are just kind of like outsiders. We can't speak for that community and stuff like that, but... Absolutely I, not. I mean, I, yeah, like, I can't put words in people's mouths. This is just the way that I feel and the way that I kind of see things myself. We cut to a new scene where Ensign Turco is giving out cupcakes and Dan does his little tractor beam bit where he goes, oh no, it's in the tractor beam. And then he like acts like he's just a tractor beam, like sending the cupcake to his mouth. It's a very Dan moment. (laughs) Yeah, I actually love that. That was, I really like seeing Dan here and there. He's a, he's definitely not one of my favorite characters. Like I feel like his character is kind of shallow um, to a certain degree and just kind of there for comedic relief. But he's, he's definitely... He's definitely comedic relief. I love yeah. this dude. He's, he's good set dressing. He's good set dressing. Absolutely. Isaac Isaac asked Bordis why him and his mate broke up, and Bordis says we were incompatible, which is a really cool way of saying it because yes, they were incompatible. Where it's not like they didn't care about each other. It was that you know one's attracted to the opposite sex, so that means they're pretty incompatible. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like funny. I, I like this bit here because Gordon asks about the breakup. Yeah. And if it was uh, stabby, I think he said, or something, like the divorce was. Yeah. And he, and he goes, no, <laughs> but they do extract a tooth and they'll leave it with their partner. And Gordon's just like, yeah, I knew it had to be something weird like that. And then they go further to say that, like, the the tooth is ingested by the, the new mate. Yeah. yeah, it's like a guessing game for Gordon whenever he gets the right. And let me guess, it's, it's the tooth. And then the mate eats the tooth, and he's, and he's like, correct. And he's like, yeah, I got it. Like, for Gordon, it's just a guessing game for this. Like, he made, like, he makes a game out of learning all these, like, scary things about Mocklin. Yeah, I know. It's Mocklin super funny. Like, I like it a lot. There's so much tooth references. I did get a freaking root canal last week, and there was drilling in the tooth a couple weeks ago. Now we're pulling teeth and giving them to people. Too many, too many tooth references uh, for this point in my life. I'm gonna have to check my dental coverage. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> it's funny the episode's called Deflectors, but Bordis has been deflecting questions all episode, so there's a lot of deflecting going on. <laughs> I like that. That was good. Yeah. So the the deflectors are nearly operational. They're doing a test, and they ask Gordon to do uh, to fly the ship around and so that the Mocklin vessel can shoot at them. But Gordon is just naturally so good of a pilot that, you know, he's, he's dodging all these bullets and doing all these cool maneuvers. So they have to, like, turn it turn it back a notch. Yeah, that's right. They actually, I forget what Kelly actually said to Gordon, but yeah, she's like, okay, Gordon, like, enough showing off. Like, we need to take hits for this test to be, you know, like, like to give us any information pretty yeah. much. Yeah. But, I mean, there he goes. He's proud of who he is. We talked about Gordon's uh, personal struggles with, you know, wanting to be more than what he is. But now he's happy. He's a great pilot. He doesn't even let, like, the friggin' military tests go through. He's like, yeah. we don't need deflectors, man. I can fly this thing out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what's cool that I noticed, too, is the deflectors, did they get that technology from Mockless? No. Well, hey, wait a minute. Time out. You actually just made me really think a bit deeper because there is a moment when Lamar and Lokar, they're talk. Lamar and Lokar. They should make like it. Anyway. Um, so Lokar they're, sounds they're, like a Warcraft name for sure. It sounds yeah, like an orc. I was thinking that. Lokar. Lokar. <laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt there. No, no, no. It's totally all right. So, yeah, there's a moment when they're discussing it and they want to put another, what is it? They're putting another emitter into a deflector emitter on the a fifth one instead of the fourth. Lamar says, you know what? These specifications only really say that we can we can contain like four and we can only use four at a time. And Lokar proceeds to say, I wrote these. Like, these are my specifications. Trust me. So we, we can assume from that if some of their technology for like deflector shields and things like that have been given to them by by Mocklin, if he wrote the specifications for it, this must be something they've received in like their union. Mm. I'm not sure. I find that element really cool. And what's interesting is like this uh, engineer who would be persecuted for his beliefs has improved their technology as one of the most talented Mocklins that we've seen on the show thus far. No, yeah, you're right. It's, it's interesting. You're right. Not to say that people that are untalented should be persecuted and stuff, but, you know. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess what it shows is the society doesn't value the individual based on personal decisions and, and personal pleasures or whatever. Like, what he, like, dis- different beliefs. But then they're actually, like, if they were to have condemned him, they would have not prospered in the technological advancements. Which is, you know, it's really showing it's like, it's very ignorant and it's very, like, counterintuitive to be prosecuting people for like a, like a personal decision or choice that's not harming anyone else. Like it's not They're holding themselves back in more way than one. Their Absolutely. society can't progress culturally and they can't progress as well technologically if they keep these people locked up. The more you know. 
So while they're doing this uh, little uh, trial run of the deflector shields, Yafit, we get to see him reroute auxiliary power, and he's just like on the ground. He like stretches his arms up on the on the thing like a kid trying to get cookies off the counter. <laughs> it's <laughs> no, yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, it just kind of like pans across, and you see his like goopy arms hanging up there. Just can he even see what he's touching on the control board, or I don't know. Yeah, they have their doubts that this is going to work, but it turns out that it does work, and they really have more faith in Lokar's abilities after this. And once it succeeds, uh, Lokar says, I believe I'll try a cupcake, <laughs> which is pretty nice. I like that. It was a little victory cupcake. <laughs> yeah, now that everything's good, like let's not celebrate until, you know, we can we have something to celebrate, right? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. One thing that I realized from the wiki in the first uh, in the opening scene there in old New York, uh, it's shown that they have the marquee with the movie Anchors Away is on there. And that's a movie that came out on July 19th, 1945. And what's really cool here is the movie stars Gene Kelly and Catherine Grayson. And what's really unique about them is their last names make up the name Kelly Grayson. That's definitely on purpose because Seth loves his own movies, but that's a really cool origin story for her name. No, it is really interesting, actually. It's like a really, like, I don't know, maybe maybe I've not been paying attention to other television programs quite as closely as I have been to the Orville, but I feel like the Orville has a, lots of nice little, like, Easter eggs for the viewer. Yeah, attention to detail is my, my bread as well as my butter. I freaking love that stuff. If you put the attention into that, if you put the details in there, people who love your stuff will dig those out and they'll appreciate it even more and it makes it feel more lived in and, and really builds a whole cool world for people to enjoy yeah, it's definitely expands like what the show is and it gives you like cool little things to, I don't know, just little references here and there. And, and it, it kind of makes the show feel a bit larger than it is. Yeah. Yeah. We cut to uh, Commander Grayson's quarters and she's got a cookie bouquet on her desk. And those cookies look like really they don't look like they taste good. If you ask me, they look like generic store bought cookies there. Kinds of get from like the local grocer and you get like 20 in a pack for like five bucks and they're not that great. They go bad in like three days. Yeah, Kelly's not <laughs> eating all those cookies. Like that's like 12 cookies and they're like, I don't know how many cookies that is, but they're huge. They're like massive cookies. Yeah, that's like, I don't know. That's probably like a weekly like calorie intake for. Yeah, best case scenario, the ex-husband's going to go run off with those as we see later on. In <laughs> so Ed walks in and he, he grabs one of the cookies and eats it and, uh, you know, he he's... Kelly's single now, and he almost, you know he's kind of longing for her. He's a little love, Lauren. I, those two are going to hook up. You know he's still got feelings for her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we kind of see it, like, throughout the episode, like, in, in slight kind of references here and there to their relationship, whether it be through the crew, whether it be through, you know, like, themselves talking about things. But they, they definitely, they, they appear to be getting a little bit closer. Uh, I don't know quite yet in what sense, but uh, we'll we'll be sure to It'll let you know. <laughs> Although you never know, they could kiss at the end of the season. The rate the show is progressing, it could happen at the end of the season. They're not one of the. They are one of those shows that set things up, but they don't make you wait like all season or till the end of the year. They get going with it, like they really pick it up. They like to deliver, and deliver they do. Which is cool because unfortunately, this show could be canceled. Uh, so I like that they're not going to leave us all hanging. And again, if you like the show, definitely try to watch it live, buy the merch from Fox, show them you're interested in any way you can. Mm-hmm. I we say mean, this every week. <laughs> yeah, so you, you best be listening each and every week. <laughs> no, we're not I'm trying to teasing. nag you like your mom to take your lunch to school or whatever. But really, this show is fantastic. And I think that uh, more people are going to hop on board as this train gets rolling because this show is really, really something special. Absolutely. And um, like, yeah, we, we'd hate to see it happen kind of like TOS. We don't want to see it get canceled, guys. We want you to show your love for it while it's on air, and hopefully it'll stay that way for the foreseeable future. 
Yeah, what's really funny about the uh, dialogue that Kelly and uh, and Ed have is uh, is Ed says, you know, if you guys wanted to get married, that would have been really awkward because as captain of the ship, I would have to perform the ceremony. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like that. You can kind of like you can kind of like sense the relief. He's like, oh yeah, that's great because it just would have been a really awkward kind of thing. Like he's still kind of thinking about himself in this scene, but he's also trying to like ease the tension with some jokes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we know that Ed has very deep feelings for Kelly. And I mean, I don't know. It's just a, it's a sweet little joke there. It's not too heartfelt, but it's kind of silly. And he's kind of glad that she's not getting married. And he kind of plays it off with like a little comedic gesture when maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, we'll but if, if Isaac and Dr. Finn ever tie the knot, we know who's going to be the master of ceremonies or whatever. The, <laughs> the guy yeah, I can't, can't, wait to see, can't wait to see Captain Matt all done up and performing a wedding ceremony. That'd be, that'd be quite, a, quite a thing to see on the show. Do you Who take knows? this robot, this Kaylin, <laughs> to be your, you know. <laughs> Ed asks if he, can, uh, if he can take the cookie bouquet, and she goes, yeah, sure. And Ed just, like, t- I love the way he awkwardly grabs it and just, like, walks off with it. <laughs> <laughs> you can sim- you can have any food you want via the simu- the simulator or whatever they use the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. So why would you even <laughs> why would you want that cookie bouquet? Maybe it's because he doesn't want her thinking of Cassius or whatever. I was kind of thinking that right because uh, if you see them sitting on your desk and like you know you don't plan to eat them, you're gonna be thinking of the other person quite a bit. It's like a very I mean cautious like he's uh, he's a sneaky one. He's he's manipulative. <laughs> Yeah, we'll find out later that that's not the biggest uh, gesture he'll be making this episode. Certainly not. <laughs> we see Tala walking to her quarters, and she finds Lokar, and he says he needs to talk. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is when things really pick up in this episode, and, and things get super serious. Like, it goes from kind of lighthearted jokes and stuff. This is like a pivotal turning point in this episode. I didn't see this coming at first. I thought that it was going to go more of a Bohemian Rhapsody route where they were going to be like best friends like Freddie Mercury and Mary. But no, it turned out to be different. I didn't see the twist coming, did you? There were little notes that I kind of noticed and I picked up on. When Lokar actually decides to have the cupcake after it's a success, like the mission or the... Yeah. the yeah, Tala gives him the cupcake and he, he receives the cupcake from her, whereas Turco offered it to him the first time and he refused very abruptly. This time he receives it with a very big smile. Like he looks... He looks definitely interested. Good thing Lamar didn't have to compete with, with uh, Lokar there. <laughs> yeah, that could have been some pretty awkward. Um, yeah, uh, I, I've been wondering why we've been getting so much Mocklin stuff lately, but much like a sword, there's a point to it where I think that the relationship with the Mocklins and the Union is it isn't as tight as we would think, and it's very easily broken off if the cultural differences become bad enough that it tears them apart. Yeah, no, that's definitely an interesting thought. There's more on that at the end of the episode, definitely hinted towards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, I guess. So Larkar comes out and reveals that if he was found out, he'd be put in prison for the rest of his life. He tells Tala that he's attracted to her, which is weird because he doesn't really know that many dating. He doesn't know what it's like to court a woman. He's probably only met like 10 women in his whole life, depending on how much he's been interacting with people as Edomoclus. Yeah, no, it's true. After Lokar expresses his attraction towards Tala, Tala's like super confused. You know, she goes in and she explains that Mocklin, we know, we know that it's like an all-male species. So she, you know, she's quite confused. Like, how is this, you know, really happening? Like, he says that he's like one of the few people on his planet that experienced this. And he expresses like the serious repercussions of potentially being found out, lifetime imprisonment, right? So like, that's pretty crazy. But he told her that the only reason he would tell someone this is if they felt, or if he felt that the feeling was reciprocal. 
you know, he kind of thinks it may have been inappropriate, and he apologizes and says that he should be leaving. And Tala is left with a lot to think about. Yeah, he's really forward, but again, you would be if you only have a small window to see the your desired sex, right? Uh, so he had the shore leaf with Bordas and probably only a few other times to interact with the opposite sex without being detected. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, when you think about living your entire life as a lie, or not a lie, but a, a, a hidden truth or whatever, you'd take most opportunities you could to to probably try and live and feel the way that you, you want to, right? Time is of the essence, and he has to really kind of see where he stands with her he doesn't want to wonder he wants to know yeah it, it's funny i i made the uh, bohemian rhapsody reference earlier and there is a picture on instagram of bordis with the mustache and it said like mocklin rhapsody or something like that on it so I, i'm not too <laughs> far, far off base with these episodes with these references i think you're right on point <laughs> yeah we cut to the dining hall or the meal hall whatever it's called there on, on the orville and uh, and Callie are talking about Cassius, and they're kind of trash talking Cassius to the point where Ed just goes, "Men are the worst." I'm angry just hearing that, <laughs> hearing about some of the horror stories. Yeah, I know it's true. He's kind of maybe maybe he's sincere, maybe he's kind of like white knighting, if I may, you know, trying to be agreeable with Kelly so she might favor him in in a sense. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we cut to the table of uh, the other bridge crew, like watching them. It's like Isaac Lamar. T- uh, Tala and uh, I think Tala's there and uh, and, Gordon. and Gordon. Yeah, and it, it's funny because Gordon Gordon says there's something serious wrong with all of us when the most stable relationship on the Orville is Isaac's. And Lamar <laughs> goes, "Yeah, man, what's your secret?" We kind of predicted this last week when we said that Lamar might be asking them for if Isaac for advice or Gordon, which is where we're at now. One week later. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good prophecy on the Redenbachers. We got some insight, man. Yeah, you know, the Redenbacher, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, we're, we're dropping serious speculation, and sometimes it pays off. Do-do-do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually really love the dynamic of, like, Isaac being the one who knows the most about relationships or being the only one in the stable relationship and being, like, and mature. like, it, it being, like, so, yeah, it's so <laughs> surreal that it's, like, all these people in the Orville are struggling with the relationship so much. And you know what? I mean, Gordon does mention that Isaac had a little hiccup there. He was going around asking the crew which sexual positions were the most enjoyable to biological life forms. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Finn warned him about being too open about the relationship. And then Tala's like, did something happen? He goes, oh yeah, he's going around the ship asking what sexual positions were most pleasurable for biological life forms. Uh, that's what I, Gordon I, said. I love how Isaac uh, like reciprocates that. He's just like, I was merely trying to provide Claire with the most, what do you say? The most dutiful, uh, calibrated coital experience. <laughs> there you go. And it's so funny. Gordon's just like, no, yeah, that's what women want. Dutiful coitus. Like... <laughs> This is uh, Sheldon done better, if you ask me. There's no laugh track, and it's, like, fantastic every way, and it's not, like, forced. You know, it, it's great. I, I love Isaac so much. He, he's great. No, a wonderful character. So much joy comes from Isaac. Like, we only we only get a couple teaspoons of Isaac this episode, but th- it's all great. It's all great. Yeah, it's all gravy. Like, we, you know, we're just taking samples of Isaac, but each one is fantastic. Gordon and the crew are talking, and it's they basically seem that even the crew thinks Ed and Kelly should uh, get back together. Gordon knows a bit more and knows that it's super complicated. And then Tala looks at him and says, I don't know, the galaxy is full of so many unhappy people. Why ignore something good? Which is mm-hmm. mirroring what she's thinking about Lokar. Exactly. Yeah, you can see it after she says that. She kind of like her face and like her her expression they kind of like she's in deep thought and, and yeah you can tell that she's she's trying to kind of maybe justify things or convince herself that this might be a good idea to proceed and, and to see Lokar in a 
more of a romantic kind of involvement. Yeah, Tala and Lokar start talking in one of their quarters, and then they decide to go on a date or somewhere where they won't be seen, at least. It's not officially a date. They go to the simulator. Mm-hmm. As they walk through the simulator, we see that someone's watching them from afar. It's, we just see, like, their arm, and it looks like it's uh, Mocklin garb. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, Lokar expresses, he's like, yeah, well, where would we go for the walk? And then she goes, we're going to be on Earth. No one will see us there, which is which is pretty funny. Um, because, like, yeah, like Matt says, like, someone very much does see them on their way to the holodeck. <laughs> yeah. Um, no one will see us there as long as no one sees us in this one hallway down to the holodeck. <laughs> Luckily, his room... Damn it, foiled. Like, one thing I was thinking of is there would be like a list of who's using the simulator, right? Like everyone would want to use it like every day. You know what I mean? Like that would be pretty booked. But it's going to be open. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Like actually, when you really, really consider it, what do you have to do in your off time? You know what I mean? Like there's simple things. You can go to like the bar. You can go, you know, to mess hall. You can like hang out with colleagues that are off shift. But yeah, there would be like a huge demand for the simulators. I, I know I would be putting my name in like months in advance just to make sure I get a spot. I'd be in there. I'd be like, uh, simulate Matt Murphy version 12, and I'd be chilling with like Willie Nelson or whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, that aside, I mean, that's not even a nitpick. Like, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, the show, you have to write it so it works like that, and it's fine with me. Mm-hmm. So they're in 1945 New York, like we saw in the beginning of the episode. She borrows uh, Kelly's simulation, and Tala says that I think that people from Earth like to use that to feel like they're really at home. So they like to enjoy those simulators and they forget they're even in space sometimes. Yeah, it's nice. It really gives you the ability to reconnect with your roots. Obviously, being hurtled through space in a, in a spaceship, you don't get to do the things that you might always want to do. That comes out of duty. Like, you know, you have uh, obligations and responsibilities to, to your vessel and everything. And it's obviously a decision you make before you join the union and you, you take command or like take a post more more accurately. Yeah. But yeah, you, you give up a lot and it's definitely a good way to really get to stay in touch with, you know, your culture and, and things like that. For sure. A little girl walks up to uh, Tala and Lokar and it's really funny because they share a few words and then the little girl goes, this is Betty. I got her for Christmas. And Lokar goes, that is not my concern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it's super joke <laughs> like and, a little girl and he, he doesn't care to like you know and she's like oh that's a nice dolly he's just like that is not my concern i do not care that has nothing to do with my life <laughs> like i don't care about your doll <laughs> <laughs> no it's so true it's funny just totally disregards the little girl he's like i'm here for romantic relations please like yeah it, it's cool and they see someone dancing up in the window and i don't think they dance much on, on mockless and it's funny, Tala then starts to teach him how to, how to dance and says, I used to date a human, believe it or not. Maybe we'll see this human in a future episode. You never know. A lot of dialogue is not wasted in this show, especially when they allude to other characters. No, it's true. And it's actually quite interesting. And that point got brought up that she's, you know, been in like relationships that have been outside of her species, which definitely is, you know, like a green light for Lokar. I mean, obviously, it's already kind of like a green light, but that's pretty much confirmation in my eyes. Kind of like, you know, this isn't the first time I've dated someone who's not my species. And then it's like, OK, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you go to the holodeck with someone and they're not like your friend or whatever, it's just assumed it's a date, basically. Yeah, I would say that's fairly accurate. Yeah. Kiali is then uh, they, they're they're dancing and uh, they share a kiss uh, because she, she teaches him. She says, you just got to You just have to learn to lead, uh, you know, tell my body what to do or something along those lines. And then he, he kisses her and she reciprocates and they keep on kissing until she's called away. 
to uh she's called to kelly's quarters okay i wasn't sure there was a weird angle it was a weird shot of her quarters yeah it was it was kind of strange and Um, there was a huge katrudian uh, blocking our view or or distracting me from the set (laughs) and his name is grugan which is a, a nice name and ben i don't know if you knew this but he was voiced by bruce willis really yeah, that was Bruce Willis. <laughs> what? Yeah, that was Bruce Willis. They brought him. Oh, like, yeah, Bruce Willis. It's great because I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine before this show every week. And uh, Bruce Willis should really cameo on Brooklyn Nine-Nine at some point. But yeah, he it doesn't really sound like Bruce that much. But if you know him, you can kind of hear the affectations in his voice a bit. And he kind of comes across as like such like a floaty kind of a, you know, douche, if I say so myself. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a cool fact. I didn't know that, man. Cameos galore. Seth tweeted that there'd be a really cool uh, cameo in the episode, and I'm pretty sure that's the one he was referring to. I would say uh, you were right. I don't know. I'm not exactly the one to be giving advice here, but I think a, a, a giant non-sentient flower would have been the more effective way to go, because this flower looked like it just it annoyed her more than anything. <laughs> yeah, I would say like with relationships, being over-persistent is, is not a good idea. And and this is really quite over the top. This is almost like an obsessive display right here. <laughs> yeah, don't just like buy more. It's like, okay, the cookie bouquet. What if I got her like a living sentient being? Ah, uh, no, how, probably... how can I one-up myself? If that yeah. wasn't good enough, what about like a giant living talking flower that can profess my love? Cassius, <laughs> <laughs> the cookie bouquet. Didn't hear much on that. Uh, let's get a giant living flower. One of my bros is a giant flower, basically. Might do that. No. <laughs> Tala goes and checks on the situation in Kelly's quarters, but while she leaves, Lokar is left by himself in the simulator until someone joins him, and it's Clyden. And he has a f- gun in his hand, or whatever they call it in this universe. It's a phaser, more or less. And he looks really pissed. Yeah. Wow. And this is where the story takes another big turn. So Tala comes back, comes back to the holodeck after the events in the quarters of Kelly, only to find she is alone. We don't see him get like disintegrated or what looked to be him getting disintegrated until they do the replay, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite elements in the episode. On the first watch, this is my favorite part of the episode, was how the simulator had so much in-depth stuff where you could see what happened beforehand and then you just view past events and then circled in on what's going on. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, oftentimes, like, we just kind of think of, like, the simulator as, you know, I don't know, just kind just of like, pleasure. A, like television. Yeah, you just turn it on, you do this and that kind of play, you go, like, you know, doing whatever you want to do that you're unable to on the ship. But this really gives us a quite a in-depth kind of technological look at the simulator. And yeah, there's like a lot more going on. Like I, I wasn't aware that, you know, everything was being recorded. You'd have playback functionalities and like when they're actually diagnosing it to try and to figure out who like who tampered with it to find out who the kind of corrupted person. Yeah was we learned that there's like multiple layers this makes me think of almost like photoshopping images where you have layer on layer on layer so we're getting a little bit more information about the technology that operates the simulator and it's pretty neat it was cool i even like the way that the corrupted image looked like i thought it was a cool design yeah no it's cool it's kind of like artifacting or the that would be relative to like computer processing um, yeah it's like someone put a v-chip in the simulator There's a big blow up after this. Between everyone has a huge discussion. The Mocklin and crew members of the Orville have a huge discussion about what went down in the simulator. Mm-hmm. It gets, man, it gets really heated really, really quickly. 
everyone's discussing what happened and Tala reveals that uh, they were on a date or whatever and then uh, Boris goes why would he wish to mate with you <laughs> or whatever which he knows damn well he's just trying to throw cover for his former lover there he's saying like why would he wish to mate with you he's trying to again hide the scent so that they don't have what happens doesn't happen where he doesn't have to face Mocklin jury no absolutely like again we see Boris kind of um covering up for Lokar trying to protect him we didn't get a ton of captain retchick in this episode but like he's pretty pissed in this scene he's going off he he blames the other people he knows that he doesn't think the mocklins would do this to their own people yeah <laughs> which is kind of funny as we later find out they do do it to their people tala interjects if you people weren't such a bunch of closed-minded bigots uh, to the mocklin and ed just said go in my office because this is complicated for ed where he agrees i'm sure with how barbaric their views are but he still knows that we have to have peace. His job is to make sure the union can exist in this form that is in. Absolutely. I mean, we have to we have to respect cultural differences and this, that, and the other thing when you're when you're like a high diversity population or society or, or whatever the case may be. And Ed knows that like, yeah, what's going on is is like it's very heated and it's very this and it's very that. But he has a duty and he has a responsibility as the ship's captain to you know, put his personal interests aside to maintain, like, good relations, I guess, with the Mocklin and everything. He can't jump to conclusions, and he can't really... He has to show favor. In Ed's quarters, Ed says, you could have given us a heads up. Kelly says, when it involves a whole ship, it's different. And Ed goes, we're not trying to go all HR on you to where, basically, they, they handle this the best way they can, but if... Tala was honest with them they could have handled this way better and they could have all worked together to make sure the situation could have been diffused much easier absolutely like all, all they really requested of her was like some some heads up but i mean at the rate which things kind of unfolded i don't think Tala was left with much time to really no you know what i mean i i, I, agree. I agree she didn't even get to finish her first date i don't know how long the mocklin is were on the orville like a week how long does it take to fix the deflectors i don't know and then the investigation after that so probably a week yeah, I would say you're right. I would say it's probably around five five days, maybe a little bit more, yeah. After this, Ed's kind of like testing Tala to see if she can stay, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to not be conflicted about this. Like, she's very involved in the situation, and she's the head of security, so you need to have your head in the game. You can't be going after a personal vendetta or anything like that. And Tala says, nobody gets away with murder on my watch. And Ed goes, okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Basically saying, I trust you, but, you know, <laughs> don't mm. mess this up. It's understandable why Ed would think this way. I mean, if you're, if you have strong feelings for someone, you know, you're going to have a bias. I mean, you might see what you want to see. But Tala, I mean, as we see later in the episode, uh, she doesn't let, like, personal interests conflict with her duties. She's good at her job there, for sure. Mm -hmm. Tala meets up with Bordas later on and speaks to him about the issue. And Bordas says to Tala, you have been a selfish fool. And... She asked him if he know, if he knew because the way he says selfish fool, she's really good at reading people, and that implies that Boris knew knew that he was uh, attracted to females, which is kind of mm -hmm. cool. Because Bordas says something about like that Tala was condoning dangerous behavior and that she doesn't understand like the Mocklin ways, and mm. you know it's it's not responsible of her. She can't really be held accountable. I I mean in a sense because. This like she got exposed to all this information so quickly, you know, you'd, you'd be in a weird place. You'd have all these feelings, and then you'd have like logical confliction, but like it didn't even come into play until after feelings kind of, you know, it's just there's so many. I factors. really feel for Tala, yeah, like her heart is probably 
she saw someone who was lost and wounded and had never been able to be accepted in their society and there is a connection for her where she says later on that her people are like the black sheep or whatever so she knows what it's like to be the black sheep and be the one that is the outsider yeah i mean i think this is a really good insight to her character like she's she's a very loving like caring understanding individual and and that's someone that that i mean i mean lokar could have really really prospered with being in his life you know like a an understanding you know yeah things get dialed up to 11 at this point because tala says i thought you'd be more evolved than that especially given what they did to your daughter which is a low blow and boris explodes says i said that will be all he's he yelled so loud that like you could feel that through the screen oh my goodness yeah we felt it shake on the redenbacher over here and yeah he, he goes i said and then he stops and composes himself and goes that will be all you know like he knows it's a complicated issue and stuff like that but he knows how much is at stake he knows the mocklin culture more than more than she does he knows the Absolutely. risks He's lived um, with it for however long it's been since they broke up. He's known the factors and what could happen. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it's just a very powerful scene. And, and when you see Bordas, like, lose his cool like that, wow. Like, it, oh. we know that Bordas is actually, like, a superior ranking officer than Tala. Yeah. And, I mean, wow, to to speak out like that. I mean, it's not really appropriate, but she's so passionate. And she doesn't, you know, subtlety isn't really her forte, like, you know, she's very, like, all cards on the table. Like, let's talk. Like, I want to know, you know? Yeah, this was some strong stuff with Peter Macon, for sure. I was going to say, uh, Clyden later, they, uh, later on when they arrest Clyden, like, their relationship has been through some shit. <laughs> like, oh, my <laughs> God. I know. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure I would have been out of there after I got stabbed. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, after the whole, you know, the porn scare and then... The awkward thing with their their kid where they did the surgery to switch genders and then getting accused of murder and getting accused of murdering the uh, Bordis's ex. I mean, this is Man, like, <laughs> it's like a soap know, opera. Yeah, I was about to say we might see a spinoff come out of like, you know, soap all, opera. all my all my Mocklins or whatever. Oh my- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone wants to, uh, you know, fire up a meme of that. Go for it. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, so you could feel that, and this is probably the most heated exchange between any crew members we've seen on the show thus far. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know when this happens, like, and Bordas loses his cool, like, he's actually very, very, like, he's put in a very strange place ethically, and, like, because he knows, like, it's just, yeah, there's so much tension, there's so much going on, like, with Topa's, like, um, um, gender reassignment surgery, or whatever the equivalent would be considered... This is a very soft spot in his heart where he, I feel as though Bordas knows that, like, he wants to be okay with everything, but he knows that his society is, and their beliefs are so ingrained that it can't be questioned. And he knows that he, you know, it's like a cognitive dissonance. Like, you know, he's exposed to information yeah. that he he resonates with and he, he knows that it should be okay, but his belief system doesn't allow him to actually even really consider it exactly so even if he feels that it, it is wrong just his words wouldn't overthrow the entire you know however old the mocking culture their entire belief system so it would really just be like yelling at the wind and then his family gets in trouble like they could have topa and Clyden locked up with him no yeah you're absolutely right it's a it's a really tough situation to be in we head back to the simulator and isaac and lamar are trying to decrypt the image and they reveal after some work that it actually was Clyden. 
Mm-hmm. Or and what looked to be Clyden's. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. No, we shouldn't say it was Clyden, but that's as far as the Orville's crew is concerned. Clyden yeah. is the murderer at this point. The prime suspect, I should yeah. more accurately say. Clyden's thrown in the brig, and he claims that he was there, but didn't kill him. He was just going to turn him in, which, you know, kind of makes him look bad as well. Yep, even if he didn't does. kill him. <laughs> It's funny because after this, they're in the cell. Ed, Kelly, and Boris move like five feet away from the cell and discuss the issue. <laughs> like, it's like you think you'd go in the other room because yeah. you could definitely hear that. You know, and it's like, uh, Kelly, can you meet me in the ready room? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but no, it's like, Kelly, you want to take two paces backwards and start talking shit about them? Like Ed asks Boris, he says, or he says to Boris, you can leave if it's too painful for you. But Boris says his duty comes first, which must be hard to do. But yeah, he's been based, his duty's been coming first this whole episode where he's been putting personal stuff behind him as much as possible, even though it keeps coming up. He's trying to deflect it, but the deflectors are not active right now. No, you're absolutely right. And I love how, like, you know, deflector resonates throughout this episode on so many different levels, whether it be, like, physical in the sense of the ship's deflectors, whether it be emotional in the sense of putting up safeguards and not being open about certain things or whatever. It's a great title. And the more and more I think about it, just the more it applies to the episode on on so many different situations. The three discuss the issue, and Kelly mentions that Clyden has a a prior history of, of violence on the ship and she says uh, sorry Bordis and he, and he says like oh it's okay but it's cool because it shows it's a throwback to earlier in the season and it just makes you feel like you're on like a consecutive journey throughout the season it's one nice long connected narrative yeah no you're right like oftentimes we think kind of episodes are unrelated but like these like this does flow and they keep bringing parents back from previous episodes yeah. and things and it's really good because it feels like a more complete universe. They do it in a way where you don't have to watch the, all the episodes to get it, though. You can just watch one at a time. They work as their own episode. But it also, if you've seen the entire series, it makes for a much grander image. Mm-hmm. I would agree uh, completely with that. Yeah, so Bordis asks Clyden. Uh, and he, he walks up to Clyden in the in the break and just says, like, did you kill him? Like, he, he, mince, <laughs> he doesn't mince words. <laughs> he just wants to know. No, I know. He's, he's just not going to interrogate him. He's just like, yes or no. <laughs> like, yeah, they discuss it a bit. And uh, Clyden says any mocking would be disgusted by what he is. And Bordis says, uh, my thoughts are irrelevant. However, I believe you that you didn't do it, basically. Mm-hmm. I really like this because Clyden is expressing how any Mocklin would be disgusted by what he is, disgusted rather, sorry, by what he is. And then Bordas, like, by saying my thoughts are irrelevant, it kind of suggests that he wouldn't be disgusted by what he did or what he is. That, you know, he accepts him and he's he's been trying to protect him for many years, as we know. There would be some extra hate on this, too, because, like, this is your husband's ex, right? So you're thinking, like, oh, so he has an even more reason to dislike him other than the ingrained uh, hatred of people that go after the opposite sex. Absolutely. There is, like, a very personal, maybe, insecurity that's, yeah, like, just the relationships that they, they have definitely influence this a lot. You're right, Matt. For Sheezy. <laughs> <laughs> the first for Sheezy of the podcast. <laughs> I realized last week I didn't make a Shrek uh, Shrek reference, and I can't really think of one on the fly. There wasn't a part where, you know, I can't even do it. I can't, I can't try it. I can't. Uh, it's okay. Although, although, <laughs> although Donkey and uh, the Dragon's relationship would be on this level where a lot of people would not accept it. But luckily, they don't have to deal with that kind of bigotry in the uh, far, far away kingdom. Yeah, far, far away from bigotry. Yeah. yeah, lovely, lovely. We go back to the meal hall, and this is one of the best exchanges in the episode for me. Tala's talking to Gordon Lamar about the case, and Tala says, uh, I mean, this has to be one of the most insane things that's ever happened on the ship. And Lamar goes, one time I almost died because I humped the statue. And Gordon says, 
Isaac once cut off my leg and Lamar says, and then the captain and commander, they got put in the zoo and Gordon says, Boris almost crashed the ship because of porn. And he's all it goes, I see. It's like a lot yeah. of stuff happened before you got here. No, it's so true. It's funny, right? Because she's a new, well, relatively new officer aboard the Orville. And you know, like, yeah, this is some really dramatic, like crazy stuff that's going on. Like there's been a homicide as far as we're concerned at the present time. Anyway, this is big this is big 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 and just yeah the way that like lamar and like gordon they, they just like nonchalantly are just like oh well you know what? there's a lot more crazy stuff like here's some examples and she's just like i see just it's like, just another wow. day for us but yeah, Tala, were you much. not here last week where it started raining on the bridge and isaac went and kissed dr finn and they're dating now and gordon did have to say we're definitely the weirdest ship on the fleet like you know you're in, it's weird things get real weird yeah, you, you know you're pretty deep in the weirdness when you walk on board the Orville, I guess. Tala goes to Bordis and uh, she apologizes. She says she was disrespectful and in- insensitive. And this allows Bordis to open up to her a little bit. And he tells her the first time he met Lokar while they were on Theta Draconis 4. It's always 4, whether it's Yavin 4 or uh, there was, there's a few 4s. It's either 2, 1, or 4. There's never other numbers. Hmm. No, you That's know. interesting, though. No, but there's some truth to that. 100%. Boris mentions how early on when he was entering the Mockland fleet, Boris stood watch while all the other uh, seniority members enjoyed shore leave. But the captain gave him time off to go and enjoy himself. And he found Lokar with a Thetan woman. And he says, I know it was wrong, but I did not want to see him destroyed. And Talis says, so you've known this whole time and there's no room for compassion or understanding on your planet? And then he reveals more about his culture and says, for generations, my people struggled on a desolate world. It was only our culture, our traditions that sustained us. It is who we are. And Talos says, man, if I had to live on Mockless, I'd probably kill myself. And then this what was the funniest part of the episode to me. He goes, then you would shame not only yourself, but your family as well. And I was laughing my ass off. I know it's terrible. Before I could get to the second part of this, where he goes, all would be banished from Mockless. On my world, suicide is an unforgivable crime. They're hardcore on Mockless. Mm. I laugh um, at the worst things, as you know. I laugh at the, <laughs> what, what's terrible, and I, I know what's terrible. You have to laugh or you cry. <laughs> I think we all have, uh, well, I hope we all have a certain level of appreciation for the, like, the darker side of humor. You know, it's a very big part of humanity, and to ignore it would be, I, I feel, a tad naive. This is like a really powerful scene, because like you said, like Tala comes like sympathetically and like, you know, like seeking kind of forgiveness, like making sure that she hasn't offended uh, Bordas. And yeah, it does give Bordas a great opportunity and kind of transcends to being giving us an awesome opportunity to see some of the heavy influences in Mocklin culture. You know, it's like they were they were struggling for survival and all they had was their their culture, like their ways, their beliefs. And that's what got them through it. And you'd understand why that type of belief or like whatever ideologies really resonate and stay with the Mocklin culture. Yeah, I, I think the story painted a, a really good image and I could see them trying to survive, even though like I, it was open ended. I could see them trying to thrive. It, it made me think of there's a show called The Expanse, which is amazing. I think that you guys should check that out. And they deal with Earth and Mars and the Martians. They're trying to make Mars more hospitable. And they kind of have a hatred of Earth where they take their atmosphere for granted. They have it so easy, but they have a tighter bond because they're just trying to survive each day on this tough landscape. Hmm. That's super interesting. I'm going to have to check out The Expanse. I highly recommend it to anybody who's looking for some sci-fi. Three seasons in, it's on Crave TV in Canada. It makes me think all the time, which is what good sci-fi does. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the funnest parts about science fiction. You know, it really just 
kind of opens opportunities for things in like a, a strange way. One thing that's cool is in that speech where Bordas says that you would shame not only yourself, but your family as well. All would be banished from Bacchus. This gives Tala an idea because earlier Lokar told her that my family would be prosecuted for my uh, crimes uh, in quotation marks as well. So this makes her think, oh, wait, if you were trying to escape and you were going to be persecuted and didn't want your family to be killed, you would probably fake your own death. Mm-hmm. The, the simulator showed that Clyden shot him and dis- disintegrated his body, which is what a great trickster would want you to think. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only does he have quite a reason to fake his own death, but he's like one of the best engineers from his planet. So he- he's capable of faking it. He has a huge advantage to what I would consider like the average engineer. They should bring him on the ship full time, honestly. Like I, I know he got prosecuted. I hope they I hope they save him in the end and bring him on the ship because he could be very useful for the crew and he would be much happier, I think, as well. Absolutely. I mean, there was a, a small talk with Tala and Lokar and she said, Why don't you seek asylum? And he said no. But we'll get to that <laughs> in a minute. Yeah, after this revelation, Tala heads to the holodeck to go figure out the simulator, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and she talks about how they're looking for a simulation. What's cool is this, it was a simulation inside the simulation, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I guess, after Clyden left, that gave you know a good opportunity to simulate Clyden actually killing him. So not only was his death a simulation, was Clyden's, you know, not being there, but some of his actions were simulated. The phaser was simulated. Like, this is like some inception going on. And also on. him moving his arm. I don't think, unless he like pointed and was like, you, you know, like he's uh, Hulk Hogan or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was really cool because when I first watched the episode, I, it was like a week ago and then I rewatched it. I forgot exactly what happened there, but it was, it was a cool explanation. It's like he was there, but then he, which made it easy to build the simulation off of that. He had the base to build the whole story out of. Yeah, absolutely. Like everything just really lined up for him for a great escape. Because when Clyden like called him out on it, essentially, like, I know what you are. He knew in that moment that his life was about to change one way or another in a huge, huge way. For sure. After this is revealed that it was a simulation, Tala has a speech. She's talking about how he's punished for his sins. She even mentioned sins to kind of show bored. It's like, hey, you know, I don't believe it. It's a sin. But with your culture, it is a sin. So I'll show that I've learned and I respect your culture, even if I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. It's true. You can see the moment of hesitation when she was going to maybe say something that she held as like a, a belief of the situation. But she very maturely kind of put her opinion aside and explained it from like the Mocklin lens of things. For sure. They all go, the whole ship basically, or at least security, goes on a search for Lokar through the ship because Ed says, well, there's no proof without him being here. Like we need, otherwise it's just hearsay. We need to have Lokar to show for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's a brilliant, brilliant means of figuring things out. But until you can find Lokar. At that point, it's just a theory, a simulator theory. (laughs) And and that's, you know, that's pretty loose to to really base like a, a conviction for homicide off of. Yeah. Every, it's a conspiracy theory, but everything is a conspiracy theory until it gets proved. Ooh. Hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so after a search, we get a you know a couple sequences of people searching, and we see Tala checking the shuttle, and then we hear like a sound, and Lokar reveals himself. It's almost like Lokar wanted to be found because this is the only person that is on the ground floor of this and might let him go. And she holds the power to actually as well. You know what I mean? In certain instances, because she has you know feelings towards him. So this is like. If he's going to reveal himself to anyone, it has to be Tala. It's his last chance for, like, legitimate safety. Mm-hmm. Which is cool because he has he's hidden in the corner with, like, this own cloak. So he's managed to reduce the field radius of the ship's cloak and focus it on himself. So he's managed yeah. to even do self-cloak. This guy is and, a genius. 
And what's interesting, this is this kind of makes you think. Could I mean, I know that everything was under control until Clyden walked into the simulator, and then that's when the gig was up, pretty much. But if he's able to, like, he came on to the Orville, and he's working on their deflector, like their shields. And now he knows, like, to manipulate it in such a way, maybe, you know, this may have been something on his mind before. I'm not sure. I don't know how much of this was, like, pre-planned or not, right? Like, I don't yeah, know if this was, funny. like, a backup plan in the back of his mind or just, like, a strike of genius when he saw the simulator thing. goes, oh, I can use that. I bet I can manipulate that, like you saw the tech. Mm-hmm. Either way. Yeah. It's an interesting thought to hold after running and running from the truth and like being so secretive of everything for so long. Maybe this was planned even before. I mean, I'm not sure. That's a big speculation. But it seems as though like that would have to be set up really quickly. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. But it seems like there may have been not like hints, but I feel like I've at least interpreted it in a sense that it may have been possible that Lokar came maybe to the Orville with intensive kind of escaping. Um, I don't know what the time order. frame is. When we see Clyden enter the simulator before the commercial break, that's what really happened. I mean, well, that's the, that that is what happened, and then the rest we don't see. So Clyden, I guess, walks off, and I don't know how long it takes him for re- him to reprogram this, but I guess it's not longer than it takes for Clyden to go reveal to everybody that he is attracted to the opposite sex. Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes my brain hurt to think about it. So we'll we'll move on here. <laughs> Tala and Lokar have this heart to heart conversation about he wants her to free him and he puts a little guilt on her as well where he says to her if you know the truth why did you not let me leave and Tala says that Lokar should request asylum but Lokar says I don't want to hide I'll return home and face the consequences but it'll be on your conscience Tala that's almost like guilting her into doing it which isn't you know the way to it absolutely is I mean um, it is extremely manipulative he's saying I'm going to return to my planet. I'm going to face whatever consequences are bestowed upon me. But Talakiali, it will be on your conscience what happens to me. I understand that this is something like, you know, he needs to leave. Like, he's he, he starts tearing up. It, it's an extremely powerful moment. He pretty much puts himself at Tala's mercy and kind of influences her decision, hopefully with guilt, to to allow him to leave. She says she cares about him, but she's still, but Lokar says, take me to this ship. And he like accepts his fate. And this is the opposite of what Ed did a few episodes back with, with the Jiliacs that made the fake star where he did get involved and do like a big change to change their culture and took a step beyond the union boundaries. Whereas Tala really doesn't want to just as much as Ed would hate to leave the, the Jiliacs suffering, but she does go and take him in and sends him off to be persecuted. Oh, wow. I mean, it's. I mean, this is, yeah, this is what it boils down to. Tala's been questioned by Ed, like, if she's going to be able to perform, like, the investigation without a bias, without, you know, this and that. And it's really just, like, you know, like a battle between the heart and the mind. Exactly. So often people will follow their heart, but Tala knows that that's, you know, it's not okay. And she's, like, sworn to to not only the Union, but to Ed, her captain, that she's not going to let this interfere. And... it's extremely hard. Like she's sending him away to be prosecuted, to be potentially banished from, from Mockless. It's a sad ending. It's it's It's, a sad way to go. And it only gets sadder. It's extremely emotional. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. After that scene, we, we see Ed and Kelly, they're having a drink and Ed says, you know, the more I learn about the Mocklins, the more I see that our differences go right down to the core of our values. And Kelly says, well, we need them. And Ed wonders how long the alliance with a culture like that can last, which is true. And I think it's going to be playing out later on in the season. 
Yeah, I mean, it's true. They they do mention that the Union does need the Mocklins. But yeah, when, when you don't share systematic beliefs, like, I mean, yeah, like, obviously, there's beauty and cultural differences in this and that. But but yeah, like when like the like, the, like you say, like, the, just the core of your beliefs are so different. It doesn't take much to unbalance that, you know, if no, I mean, I sure. feel like their relationship might be a little bit shakier than we've been led to believe this whole time. I agree. Cassius shows up, and then the uh, the full breakup happens. Basically, apparently, uh, his bro Grugan <laughs> told him what happened, <laughs> <laughs> and they were friends from way back. And he gave him the four one one on this. Essay. I want to see that conversation. Yo, bro, not happening, bro. Didn't work out, bro. <laughs> Just damn, like. But it's funny because even go into the amount of depth to say that um, Cassius actually like. This is earlier, but he, I think he said that he, he like yeah he taught my kids and everything. We go way back, like. <laughs> Teach your kids about photosynthesis. <laughs> <laughs> so Cass asks Kelly if he's still in love with Ed. Uh, she says Ed will, will always be in her life. But Cass says that's not really an answer. And she says it's the only way I know how to answer that. And I like that. It's pretty powerful because maybe, you know, from Kelly's past relationship, she's not really ready to jump into anything else or anything like that. But then, yeah, she she really does avoid cautious question, like very, very hard. Just like, you know. Do you, do you still, like, are you in love with him? She goes, well, I still love him. So it's interesting, you know? She hasn't directly answered the question, and I, I understand why Cautious would be like, you know, that's not entirely what I asked you. But then at the same time, like, yeah, like, Kelly herself doesn't seem to really know what she wants, and that should be respected, absolutely. Like, Yeah. Well, it's like, you're dating the ex-wife of the captain of the ship. There's going to be a little bit of drama. So he was kind of doomed from the start, and... Cassius uh, kind of leaves the show as he entered it in a, you know, ho-hum way. And I expected this kind of uh, arc for him where they date a bit and then he's the boyfriend. He's like, actually, you're still obsessed with your ex. I'll leave now. And he gets transferred to another ship. Yeah, by his choice, though, which is very emotionally mature of him. I mean, he he's finally got, despite what Ed and Kelly talked about earlier, saying um, closure is kind of a, <laughs> it's a scapegoat just to, like, hang out. You can say, oh, yeah, like, I just need closure. And then try and swoon them or something like that. But yeah, maybe Cautious did actually receive the closure that he needed. Like, he understands, like, he accepted Kelly's feelings, and he, he's moved on. Not that he doesn't still feel the same way, but he's, you know, he respects her decision, and he, he requests a transfer. Exactly. Later on, we get, here's where we get the last scene of the episode. Uh, there's a mashup of other, other uh, shots cut in, but Tala is joined by Clyde and, and he thanks her and says that Bordas told him to put his faith in her and he was right. And Tala says, I was just doing my job. To which he replies, if you haven't done your job, I would have gone to prison. I owe you a debt. And she goes, here's how you repay me. When you see me, when you see me, walk the other way. She says, Lokar didn't hurt me. He didn't hurt anyone. He's in this position because of you. So for that, you can go straight to hell, more or less. I paraphrase that a bit. But it was intense and it was a very emotional scene. And Maybe Clyde will think differently about his views. Like, hey, you know what? This person is good enough to save my life. Maybe I should rethink some things. Absolutely. I mean, this is, yeah, like like you say, Matt, this is such a powerful scene. Again, like, Tala's just doing her duties, but but it went uh, it went against like, her personal beliefs and like what she wanted. And, yeah, Clyde, you know, he just expresses his thanks to her. And just, oh, my goodness, yeah, just what, what he got, like, what he got coming his way, it was like, yeah, we can see things from both sides, like we understand Mothlin culture a little bit better now, but we can still understand like the hurt that Tala feels, and and we can definitely respect that. Even there, wow, it's it's super powerful. 
And, and you're right. Like when like when Clyden does enter uh, with Bordis, they hold eye contact, and that same kind of feeling like resonates. Like I don't feel like Bordis was happy with how things happened, and I feel like he does hold Clyden responsible. Yeah, there might be some resentment there. Absolutely. Even though, even though this... already things were rocky for them. Oh yeah, things have, yeah they've been rocky, but um yeah you just like look at it and. And really what, what Clyden has done here, not necessarily, I mean, he hasn't been aware of this. Yeah. But what he's done is he's effectively outed someone that Bordas cares about and that Bordas has been, you know, protecting, protecting for, yeah. for so long, for so, so, so long. And Clyden doesn't understand Bordas' feelings necessarily. And we can understand why he did what he did based on yeah. his cultural beliefs. But yeah, you can see that, you know, there's so much hurt and so much pain um, yeah. in both Tala and Bordis. Even though I, Bordis isn't very emotional, he doesn't express it, you can see, like, you know, a great disappointment. Yeah, for sure. As you can hear in the background, those strong Canadian winds are blowing in Ben's background. It's a record. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very sorry, guys. I hope that hasn't been terribly distracting throughout the episode. Right now in Toronto, well, we're ex- that's where I'm recording from. Gale Force um, winds. Yeah, we're getting gusts of like upwards past 110 kilometers an hour. I'm not sure what the conversion in miles per hour would be, but it is it's, like, it's fast. It's, fast it's a windstorm. Wind so I'd like to apologize if it's been yeah, well, distracting. We're, we're wrapping up here. We're almost done. But one thing I want to say is Clyden, I hope that board is just to spike Clyden grows the mustache back. It's like, oh, you don't like it? Well, I don't like it when you <laughs> my friends or whatever and get them thrown in jail. That would be good, actually. A little <laughs> passive aggression. Bordas, yeah, why is yeah. The do a Fu Manchu. Give us a good Klingon reference uh, from the OG days. And after the scene, there's also cut with uh, Lokar facing the courts on Mokhlis. And they've got like a cool little cube gavel there. So I was, I was intrigued and sad at the same time. But the little cube gavel that they bang on the table there to, you know, to end the case. Yeah, yeah it's a powerful scene because you see after Clyden leaves and, and Tala's still in the room and she's still staring off into what would Presumably, what would be Mokhlis kind of pondering the fate of, of Lokar. And then you see Lokar kind of in the same state, kind of standing there, I guess, you know, whatever the judge declared just passed as the mallet hit the table or whatever. It's sad. Not like Pickle Jar sad. Pickle Jar sad will be a term used on the podcast from now on. But it's, <laughs> it's like, damn, I feel bad for that guy sad. And uh, I hope we see Lokar again. I hope he gets freed. This can't be the end of his story. I, I really hope it isn't the end of Lokar. I got my fingers crossed for you, Lokar, and, and you as well, Tala. Hopefully you guys can have something somewhere, sometime. For sure. I, I, I was talking about the Orville. I'm almost sick of it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I've been waiting to go watch the new episode of the Orville. I've had it taped and I don't want to be spoiled. So I'm looking forward to the next one. It's got like a 9.4 to 10 on IMDb. So I can't wait. I hear Gordon can sing. What more do you want? Wow, I can't wait. I mean, we know Scott Grimes has a wonderful music career going, like beautiful tunes. I can't wait to see him sing it out on the Orville. Yeah, do you have anything else to say on the podcast or on this episode? I think we pretty much, I think I've at least pretty much said most of what I wanted to about this episode. It's just been a really powerful episode. Better on the rewatch for me. I I was the lowest on this of the the episodes we've covered so far, but I think it it does uh, keep up. I actually really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I mean, I remember on my first watch, I remember you and I discussed and we're like, wow, this, you know, podcast might not have quite as much content as we would hope it would. But uh, since we've been talking, man, um, wow, like there is a lot that we've we've discussed. And I, I think I've pretty much mentioned just about everything that I would have liked to. Hey, wait a minute. Did you hear the door chime? I, I think someone's there.
what you need to do. You, I said go to the chopper, but it's not good enough. You need to go to the Redenbacher. Do it now. Go on YouTube, Podbean, all the platforms are there. You'll listen. You'll like it. Well, thank you very much for that. Is he a new officer, Matt? Have you met him before? Who is this guy? I don't know. It's some some guy from Austria. He really he's rising up the ranks. He's pretty good. Uh, I can't. I don't know. He seems pretty tough. Yeah, he seems familiar. I just can't put a finger on it. But anyway, okay. guys, take his <laughs> Any- advice. <laughs> Anyways, from the Ulysses Claw Galaxy, this is Matt Murphy signing off for Commander Ben Boywell. Keep cutting that grass. Thank you.